And then also from John, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 9, verses, uh, no, I'm sorry, that's right, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 11, and then John chapter 6, verse 30 and 31, and verse 35. Listen to the word of the Lord to us today. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And from John chapter 6, So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So I was going to tell a joke, uh, a, a Lord's Prayer joke, kind of like I did last week, but I decided to bag it because it was such a lame joke. It was something about how Colonel Sanders uh, called up the Pope one time and said, um, we're short on our sales and I really need you to change the Lord's Prayer from give us this day our daily bread to give us this day our daily chicken. And it was this really bad kind of lame kind of joke. Um, and did you know, that? and so I decided not to use it, did you know that there were that there were six if you were to google the lord's prayer joke on the internet uh you'll get something like 646,000 hits why is that there are all kinds of jokes about the lord's prayer spoofs on the lord's prayer all this sort of stuff on the internet about the lord's prayer because it has become so familiar to our society that it's almost become like a cultural icon it's so much a part of the fabric of our culture that people who would never even gone to church before in their whole lives uh, have heard of the Lord's Prayer. They might find it familiar. Some of them might even know parts of it or they could recognize it if they heard it. And then even church people, people who have grown up in church their, their whole lives and then maybe they stopped going to church. They don't even believe anymore, but they learned the Lord's Prayer when they were young and so they have it memorized. And so for a lot of us, we know the Lord's Prayer, but we have this, you know, in our society, this uh, remarkable thing that if we were to actually spend the time to dive into it, to marinate with it, to study it, to go deep into it. It has the power to bring great transformation to our lives and particularly our relationship with God. And so what we're doing this series is we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, kind of taking it phrase by phrase, and we're diving into these words that we say every week and hopefully some of you every day to understand a little bit more about what Jesus meant when he taught us to pray in this way. And so today we come to what would seem like a really familiar, kind of straightforward part of the prayer. Let's go ahead and say it together. Give us this day our daily bread. Seems pretty straightforward, right? 
But what exactly does it mean? What does it mean when we pray this prayer? Like, it, like if we pray really well with a lot of faith, give me this day, this daily bread, uh, will I go home today and find a big pot of stew with beef and potatoes and carrots and gravy and rolls magically appearing on to the counter? No, of course not. None of us expect that. But so what is it, what is it that we're praying when we pray this prayer? And that's what we're going to try to figure out today. Let's begin by recognizing that there is a really interesting word here, a Greek word uh, that is very, very rare in the Bible, and I think that it's actually the hinge point for this entire phrase. And the word is epiousion, epiousion. It's a word that doesn't even exist in the Bible until we get to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew and in Luke, and it doesn't exist after that. It's not even found anywhere in uh, ancient Greek literature, prior to this time and hardly ever after this, this time. Um, epiousion. It's translated as daily. Give us this day our daily bread. And so it's an adjective that's meant to describe the kind of bread that we're asking for. Daily bread. But it's actually like a made-up word. It's as though the earliest believers, the Christians in the earliest church said, look, Jesus Um, We've got to take the words that Jesus said in Aramaic and we've got to translate them into Greek because that's the language that most of the people understand. And here's this prayer and we don't have a word in the Greek language that somehow seems to capture this word that Jesus is saying. And so they kind of made up this word, epiousion. And it kind of, it tells us what that tells us that they had to go through great lengths to sort of make up a new word. It means that there's something in this word that is beyond the eye, something that uh, there's more here than meets the eye. And so it's a compound word. Epi is a preposition, and it means in, on, or upon, or to, and it's intended to capture a sense of spatial relationship. And then usion means essence or being or substance. It comes from the verb to be. So it's, exis- it's like an existential word. It's, uh, and so if you put them together, it means in essence or in being or in substance. What we're praying, I think, when we say daily bread, we mean that which is needed for us to be or that which is essential, that which is essential. And so we're praying for the bread that is essential for us. We're praying for the bread that is substantive, the daily bread. And we're praying for the bread that is necessary for us to exist, to be human. Give us today, and this is what I think, another way of translating it. Give us today the bread we need to survive. Give us today the bread we need to survive. So let's just imagine if you're poor and you pray this prayer, The bread that you actually need to survive is real bread. But it's more than just bread, right? Because you need protein and stuff. And so it might be progresso soup. That's what you're praying for. Give us this day our daily bread. Give, Lord, please can you provide a can of progresso soup. Or maybe it's chicken, spice, lentils, and rice. Depending on where you live in the world, if you're poor, when you pray this prayer, you're praying it literally. Give me this day my daily bread, because I don't know where it's going to come from. 
right? And so a large portion of the world prays this prayer every single day. Lord, please, my kids are going to bed hungry tonight, and they're going to wake up with hungry stomachs tomorrow. Please, can you feed them so they don't have to go to bed two days in a row hungry, right? And they play it literally. So even here in Salt Lake City, uh, people pray this prayer literally every single day, every single night. According to our mission partners at the, at the rescue mission, they say this, it's the father who lost his job. It's the mother, the single mother who's been hospitalized and can't pay her medical bills and lands on the streets with her children. Or it's the mother who flees with her children from the domestic violence that they had been experiencing and not knowing uh, or having anywhere to go. In Utah, homelessness uh, has some unique cases. Uh, there's the expensive housing market in Utah. There's the opioid academic, epidemic. There's a lack of access to affordable mental health care, entry-level jobs that don't pay uh, livable wage and more. So there are something like 2,800 people who sleep each night on the streets without a house, uh, without shelter in the state of Utah. And of those, and that's kind of a low number relative to others, many other states, and of these 2,800 people, 83% of them are here along the Wasatch Front. Um, and so annualized, this number is 14,000 people. So what we know uh, from what the, our friends at the rescue mission have told us is that uh, helping that, that the love that is found in a shared meal, fresh clothes, and a safe bed can really be a catalyst for change in someone's life. And these people are praying, give me this day my daily bread in a very literal way. There are thousands all over around us. Now, in the rest of the world, we know that um, the situation is actually much graver in other parts of the world. Uh, since we just met Paris and Esther, I think about Kenya. And I think about Kenya not because it's the poorest nation of the world. It's by far not the poorest nation of the world. It's actually categorized as a lower middle income economy. It, it does have significant poverty, but it's a, it's a nation that you are familiar with because over the years, you've invested a lot of your resources as a congregation, both your time, your energy, energy, your finances. Many of you have been to Kenya and participated with Kenya Partners and Nakuru. Uh, and so you might know uh, that the poverty rate is around 36% in Kenya, which means that more than a third of the population live off of less than $1.90 a day in Kenya. And this was before the pandemic. When the pandemic hit, within the first four months, 1.7 million people lost their jobs in Kenya. And one survey showed that 60% of Kenyans can no longer afford to provide three meals a day for their family. And half of the population now live in, you may have heard of the, some of the slums in Kenya, like Mathari. And so here's a picture of the living conditions of potentially half the population uh, in Kenya. This is a Mathari slum there, and many of you have seen uh, some of these. And so I just, uh, so these people, they're praying for their daily bread. Some of them are, are also praying for water, like for clean water, because they don't have that. And when they pray this prayer, they really mean it literally, don't they? So I just want to pause for a moment and ask, when we pray this prayer, what are, like what are we praying? Because we know where our next meal is coming from, right? 
I mean, I know that I've got six months, maybe um, a year or something, if we sell the house or whatever, that I can feed my family for the foreseeable future. So what are we, what are we praying? And, and I think that most of us in this congregation are in kind of a similar boat. There might be a few. I think there are a few that struggle with this. But for the most part, we know where our food's coming. So what do we pray for? Here I suggest the us is really important. Just kind of like in the first sermon when we prayed our Father, we're not just praying my Father who art in heaven, but we're praying our Father, even the person that I don't really like or get along with very much or don't agree with. He's, he's our Father. In the same way, we're praying give us this daily bread. Give all of us this daily bread. Lord, help those who do not have their daily bread uh, to be fed and to, uh, to find food each day. So on the one hand, we're not just praying for ourselves, we're praying for the people who are literally hungry in our backyards and in throughout the world. So now I want to pause and think about how does God answer this prayer? How does God answer the prayers of the people who say, give us this day our daily bread? How does he answer the prayer for the people in the red zones here in Salt Lake City or in Kenya or in Myanmar or, or elsewhere when they pray, give us this day our daily bread? How does he answer that? Well, in the story of Moses, you might remember, the Israelite, the Hebrews were wandering through the wilderness and God provided miraculously through what this white flaky substance called manna that appeared with the morning dew and it would only last for a day and they would eat it and they would survive. But that doesn't seem to work uh, with us, does it? I mean, you, we can't just pray, uh, give us this day our daily bread, and then all of a sudden a can of Progresso soup shows up on the shelf. Uh, our friends in Kenya don't pray this prayer, and then all of a sudden a bag of meal falls out of the sky. No, how does God answer this prayer? Through his people, right? Through his people. And so, just like here in Salt Lake or anywhere else, when we pray, God is also calling us to be the answer to our prayers. And that's why, that's why we had people here on Friday uh, making sandwiches for St. Vincent de Paul and then bringing them uh, to them to serve on Friday night. And that's why there were people volunteering at the Utah uh, food bank on Saturday because it doesn't happen miraculously. Other people are praying and God deploys his children to answer their prayers. So God answers prayers like these in the way that God answers most prayers. He sends people. We are the instruments that God uses to answer his people's prayers. So listen to this. Like you are God's instrument that God will use to answer the prayers of his other children. That's a wonderful thing. So I want to just, we'll get back to that in a second. Uh, even, you know, I think about, well, let me skip this part. So God does answer this prayer through his people. So, so this is the, what this begins to look like. When we're praying this, Jesus is inviting us to pray for everybody who needs bread daily and then he's inviting us to roll up our sleeves and to do something about it. Because if we're praying sincerely for people who don't have bread, that then opens our heart to these people. And if our hearts are open to these people, how can we not bear some responsibility to provide care for their well-being? 
You know, James in his epistle, he said, faith without works is dead. How many of you, if you see a brother or sister hungry or thirsty or in need of clothing, will say, oh, God bless you, go on your way? If you do that, James says, you have failed to understand the gospel because the gospel calls you to pray for them and to do something about it. And this goes all the way back to the Torah, to some of our original texts. Uh, In Deuteronomy chapter 15, it says, Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so. For on this account, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. I love this idea. When we are praying and working and you give to those in need, the blessing comes back to you. It's as though when when you are uh, responding and you're giving to somebody who's in need, you're getting the opportunity to fulfill your calling, to come alongside that person and to answer their prayers. It's an opportunity for you to be blessed, Deuteronomy says. Uh, And so there's something joyful that's activated in our hearts when we give to those in need, when we help people who are hungry. Proverbs 22 says, those who are generous are blessed for they share their bread with the poor. What a wonderful thing. When we give, it comes back to us. It returns back to us as blessing. In Isaiah 58, God uh, says, what, what, what is it that you think I'm looking for? Uh, is, it, is it the, you know, all of your prayers and your music and your liturgies and your sermons and all these things are all fine and great and yada, yada, yada. But let me tell you what I'm really looking for. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. This is what God cares about, that all of his children are cared for. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 8. And, you know, almost everything that Paul talks about in the New Testament with regard to generosity and giving is found in the context of of these offerings that he's collecting from churches that he planted around the Greco-Roman world in order to collect, to bring back to the church in Jerusalem who was struggling. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 8. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need and then there will be equality. So somehow God put it on your heart to, to give to your brothers and sisters who are in need in Jerusalem. You're helping them now, but they in their plenty, you'll find yourself in need and they will come and help you when you're in need. What a wonderful thing. And then later on he says this, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And so when we answer the prayers of others, the result is that that person gives thanks to God and gratitude, and so you get to encourage people in their faith by giving and helping the poor. Most of us, uh, as I mentioned at Mount O, are, are not anywhere near close to the poverty line, Some of us are, but most of us are not. And those words that Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is expected, is really meant to be the rhythm of our lives. It's kind of like our life mission. Um, Because, you know, 
we could have just as easily been born in Calcutta or in Myanmar or in Mathari in Kenya. And if we were, the chances of us kind of landing here along the Wasatch Front would be like one in a million, right? Uh, and so we didn't choose where we were born. We were just born here. And so that's when Jesus says, he wants us to think about that too much. Uh, when, when he says, to whom much is given, much is expected. Uh, and so this is what we're praying when we say, give us all our daily bread. We're praying for the poor, but as we do, we recognize that we are being called to be, be an answer to those prayers. Now, let me just share with you a couple, remind you of a couple of ways you can do that practically. One is by volunteering at one of our uh, local partners, as we do, the soup kitchen at uh, St. Vincent de Paul or the food bank, or once a month at the rescue mission, we provide a worship service for them. This church has participated in serving the poor and the hungry uh, in this valley for, for many, many years, and those opportunities are still there. But maybe that's not your thing, or maybe Friday or Saturday doesn't really work for you, or maybe uh, f- you're physically unable to do that, or maybe you're, you're really living out the ca- your calling in your daily workplace. Uh, and, and so another way that you do participate in serving the hungry is by simply your giving to the church. So every time that you give a gift financially to MOPC, a portion of that gift, something like 12%, goes to the mission committee, and the mission committee discerns the Spirit's calling to determine where it should go. And when we pool our resources together like that as a community, we can have a much greater effect than if we do that all as individuals. And so even if if you're not actively engaged simply by your gift to the church, you actually are participating in serving and helping those who are hungry. Um, and then another way is simply in your everyday life to pay attention. To pay attention because God, by the Holy Spirit, is constantly orchestrating prayers. God's going, okay. This person's praying for that. I've got this person coming down the road. Uh, If that person will be paying attention, this person can answer that person's prayer. So this is how God works. He's constantly orchestrating, and that means that we are called to open our eyes and to pay attention. Lord, whose prayer am I to answer today, even as I have my own prayers, right? So we, we can pay attention in our everyday life. I, um, in my former congregation, we did this thing where we made like 100 bags we called them love bags, right? They're just like non-perishable items and we'd pass them out to the people in the congregation just to keep in, in our cars, uh, in the glove box so that when we come across somebody um, who is in need or is hungry at the off-ramp or the freeway, you have something to give them that would help them and answer their prayer. Give me this day my daily bread. And so pay attention in our everyday lives. God is always at work. I just want to share an observation and here's um, one thing that I've, that I've learned um, in, in my work as a pastor. That is that the happiest people that I've met uh, are always the most generous. I don't know why, but they give their time. They give their talent. They give their, their treasure. They make sacrifice. And it's not about the quantity of, of money or time that they give, but it's about how much of their, of their own lives relative to what they have Uh, They sacrifice comforts and luxuries in order to be generous in the world and help others. And it comes back. They find themselves 
full of joy. And the people I meet who tend to be the most unhappy are the people who may have all the money and possessions in the world, but they've just never figured out what to do with it in a way that brings them real deep and and lasting joy. And because no matter how many things we buy, there is just no causation between making a purchase and finding deep satisfaction. There's just those two things aren't related to one another, even though we hear a whisper that says they are from time to time. So this, this leads me to my last point of the message. So we pray, give us, all of us, this day, the food that we need to survive. And we understand that some are praying for food that they need to survive in a very literal way. And some of us, when we're praying that, that we're also opening our hearts to others and we want to come alongside. We're being called to come alongside to answer those prayers. But I also have bread that I need to survive as well that I don't automatically have. And so do you. Uh, I have enough food to survive, but that's not the bread that I'm talking about. And so bread now becomes a metaphor for something else. I want to remind you of something that you probably learned in your high school psychology class. Uh, Have you ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Uh, Maslow said that these are these needs, these are very human needs, and we, cl- we sort of climb up this hierarchy. And when the lower needs are met, then we can focus on the next needs. So at the very bottom, these are physiological needs. These are survival needs. These are needs for food, for water, and for, uh, for rest. And so these are survival needs, and until these needs are met, we can't focus on anything else. We're only focused on getting these needs met. And once these needs are met, then the next kind of level of needs are safety needs. We need security, shelter, um, and uh, removal from danger. And so that's the next set of needs. Now, once those two sets of needs are met, then the next level of needs and the top three uh, levels are, are the higher needs, and so this one is the need for, uh, for a sense of belonging. And so we need to belong, we need to have a community, intimate relationships, uh, and, uh, and friends. And then above that, when those are met, then we've got uh, a need to, to feel like our life is making a difference in the world, that we have some kind of value, that we're worth something. Uh, and then when that is met, those esteem needs, um, then self-actualization is about finding what, what is the meaning of my life and what is my purpose here? Um, what, you know, what, why are we here? What is my significance? And so here's the thing. I don't need the stuff on the bottom two layers of needs because they're already met. And so what, the stuff that goes from layer three up, that's actually the kind of bread that I need for, for me in order to survive. Like to survive in this stage, I need to know that my life has meaning and purpose. To be fully human, I need to be connected and I need to have intimate relationships with people whom I love. I want to know that there is some mission for me to accomplish in the world and that giving my life to that mission gives me great joy. When there is no more mission for me to accomplish, my life loses its significance. Something in me dies when I don't realize that there's some reason for me to be here. So when I pray, give us this day our daily bread, 
I'm praying for the kind of bread that satisfies my hungry heart. Jesus was being tempted by the devil, you remember, after his baptism. He had fasted for 40 days, and the devil said, turn these stones into bread, Jesus. You know, you can do that. Go ahead and do that. And Jesus said this. He said, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we don't just live only by bread. In John chapter 4, Jesus is ministering to a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And you know the story of the Samaritan woman at the well? She had had she had been married five times and she was living with somebody who's now not her husband and Jesus has this conversation with her about thirst. And meanwhile, while he's having this conversation, the disciples have gone off to another town. They didn't really want to be anywhere really around that area anyway. They went to Sychar and they got some food. And by the time they make it back to Jesus, the, the woman is gone. And so they say to Jesus, Jesus, we've got some food. Uh, we know you're hungry here. Go, go and eat. And here is what Jesus says in response. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. And so there is a food that satisfies our hearts when our bottom two physiological and safety needs are met. There is a food that satisfies our hearts and that is the food of doing God's will. And that satisfies and brings joy and nourishment and satisfaction to us, doing what Jesus calls us to do. In John chapter 6, Jesus uh, multiplies the bread and the fish and feeds the multitudes, right? Because they were hungry and he had been, them, been with them for three days and they were hungry and he had compassion for, for them. They needed food, so he gave them food. And then after that, the religious leaders came and they questioned him about a bunch of different things. They wanted to discredit him and this is what they asked him. They said, what sign are you going to give us then so that we may see it and believe you. You fed all these people, so, 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 okay, great. What sign are you going to give us so that we can see and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread to, from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. So this is a really important moment in the Gospel of John. In Matthew and in Luke's Gospel, you remember at the Last Supper, where in Matthew and in Luke, Jesus institutes... Um, communion. He institutes the Eucharist, and so he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. Those four words signify this is the holy meal that we're about to come to today. Uh, so in Matthew and in Luke, that takes place at the Last Supper. But in the Gospel of John, in the, la the Last Supper, Jesus does not institute the holy meal. He washes the disciples' feet. In the Gospel of John, Jesus institutes the holy meal here at the feeding of the multitudes. He feeds the multitudes. He takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it, and he has the disciples give it to the people. And so when we look at the bread of communion, we're meant to remember that he is the bread of life. In the context of feeding the multitudes, as Eucharist, Jesus reveals that he is the bread of life. So Jesus, at the Last Supper, with the multitudes in John, and, um, or, yeah, with, and that, well, at the Last Supper in Matthew and in Luke, he does, in fact, take bread and wine, and he transforms their meaning 
so that when we're eating something physical and tangible, it's a sign of what we need in our hearts of the love that he has to offer, the grace and mercy and meaning and purpose, the hope in life that only he can give. He's the only one who can satisfy the hunger of our soul. Reminded of Augustine's words, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. I've known people who have had everything and yet had nothing that really mattered. And Jesus came to, to offer us that, that which makes us fully and authentically human. We need more than bread to be human in the way that God intended for us. We need the bread that comes from heaven, which is Jesus Christ. And so I think Jesus had in mind at the Last Supper, when we partake in this meal, as we're going to do today, that not only at the Last Supper, but every time that we gather to eat, every meal we share together as a family is meant to be sacred, is meant to be uh, a remembrance of, of Jesus who feeds our souls. And so every time we eat, it's a symbol that God is with us and nourishing us. So we pray for our brothers and sisters who pray this prayer literally. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we acknowledge that there are people in our midst and around the world who are praying this prayer literally. And so when we do that, when we pray this prayer, we're praying for them, but we're also acknowledging that we're being called to roll up our sleeves and, and be an answer to this prayer as well. And then when we pray this prayer, we're, we're also recognizing that we have higher needs too and that we need for Jesus to satisfy our souls, that we need to feed on his word and to spend our life with him. Epiousion, give me today, O oh God, the bread I need to survive. The essence, the essential bread is Jesus Christ, the bread that gives us being. So as we um, prepare to come to the table this morning, I invite our musicians to come and lead us as we sing together, uh, and then we will share in communion. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, be with us. Be the bread that we need. Give us today, O oh God, our daily bread. And empower us uh, to, to answer the prayers of others. In Jesus' name.